So you're telling me you've got women in their early 20s negotiating with men in their 60s over tens of thousands of dollars? And they're like, well, yes. And it's interesting. No one's ever asked us about that before. You're listening to Financial Grown-Up with me, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, author of How to Be a Financial Grown-Up. And you know what? Being a grown-up is really hard, especially when it comes to money. But it's okay. We're going to get there together. I'm going to bring you one money story from a financial grown-up, one lesson, and then my take on how you can make it your own. We got this. Hello, financial grown-up friends. I personally hate negotiating, and I'm terrible at it. So I was thrilled when a mutual friend, hey Caroline, introduced me to economist, journalist, and author, Allison Schrager. She was also not the best at negotiating until she went on a little adventure learning about a business she knew nothing about. I don't know a lot about, and I bet a lot of you don't know a lot about. We'll get to that soon. First, a quick welcome to everyone and to our new listeners. Thanks for checking us out. If you like what you hear, please take a moment to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes and make sure to click custom settings and set to auto download. One less thing to think about. We have an amazing lineup this spring, so I'm really excited to share those episodes with everyone. But now let's get to Allison. The title of her book is meant to grab your attention. And I'll be honest, I did a little eye roll when I first saw it. But once I read it, I gained a lot of respect for her methodology and her curiosity. And honestly, a lot of the stuff and the different topics she covers are fascinating. You will learn a lot in this interview and you'll learn a lot from her book. The book, by the way, is called An Economist Walks Into a Brothel and Other Unexpected Places to Understand Risk. And there are some very unexpected places in this book. We'll get to more of that soon. Here's the thing though. That's what actually happened. She actually walked into a brothel and learned about risk. You're going to love this interview. Here is Allison Schrager. Hey, Allison Schrager, you're a financial grown up. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Congratulations on your new book, An Economist Walks Into a Brothel and Other Unexpected Places to Understand Risk. And everyone should know you are the real deal, Allison. You are also an economist. You're a journalist at Quartz, one of my favorite publications. And you're also co-founder of Lifecycle Finance Partners, which is a risk advisory firm. Very appropriate because we're going to be talking a lot about risk on this episode. So nice to have you. Thanks so much for having me. And before we get into your money story, just tell us a little bit about your book because it does focus on risk. Yeah. So my background is uh, I'm a retirement economist. Like I study how to fund retirement, which is one big risk problem, which is, you know, it's something we all solve. It's how to move money from today into the future as risklessly as possible so you have enough to live on. So all I ever did all through grad school and after grad school is study risk. But it dawned on me when I got better risk training or financial training that really these lessons about finance that we get from financial markets really apply to any risk problem. I mean, financial economics is just a study of risk in financial markets, but the principles apply anywhere. So I spent about a year traveling around the country looking into really quirky industries that you would never expect because the idea is just like a financial market, price is driven by risk and the different ways we can reduce risk so we can get more for less. 
And the industries are interesting. In addition to the one mentioned in the title, you get into everything from surfing to the movie business and even paparazzi. We're going to circle back to that very soon. But first, I want to get to your money story. And that has to do with a very unique negotiation training that you were able to participate in. Tell us your money story, Allison. Well, this is actually what brought me to the brothel initially and why I had a relationship with them is they called me wanting me to write about them. And I was like, I don't know about this. And they were telling, I'm like, but tell me about the industry. And they're like, well, yeah, all the women are independent contractors and we have no set prices. They negotiate every transaction. And, I was and these like, are the legal ones in Nevada. Yes. To be clear. Yes. This is the legal brothels in Nevada. They're all 1099 employees. So I was like, well, that's interesting. So you're telling me you've got women in their early 20s negotiating with men in their 60s over tens of thousands of dollars. And they're like, well, yes. And it's interesting. No one's ever asked us about that before. You know, a lot of them come here not knowing their value. So we train them so they know how to be better negotiators and ask for more. Now, this is something I struggle with. I'm terrible at negotiating. I, nothing freaks me out more than, and fills me with more anxiety, or at least used to, than asking for money. Like I am... Just, oh, I think all of us. All of us. I've always probably been underpaid for this reason. So off I went to Nevada and I spent about a week and a half there learning negotiation skills. And it changed my life, particularly Dennis Hoff when he was alive was there. And he told me something about negotiation that it's just really changed my outlook for money and for everything, which is you you have to get comfortable with no, because you have to hear no more than you hear yes, because that's how you know you're asking for enough. I think that's really smart. And what's interesting is that these women that are in, in the legal part of the, the industry do get triple, I think, what the ones that are outside of the legal. And there's a reason for that. It's because they're paying to lower their risk, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. So just like any market, you pay for safety. And brothel customers pay this 300% markup for a transaction that effectively they know is going to have no consequences. They're not going to get arrested. Women's not going to blackmail them. She's not going to be on the news. They know that she's been screened for diseases. So if a customer, want, men and women, want that kind of service, then there's somewhere they can go and know they can get it risk-free, but they have to pay for it. Did you take those lessons and actually use them in your own life? Oh, yeah. I mean, especially one, I, I learned how to ask for more and feel comfortable with hearing no. My new life philosophy is you should hear no at least 60% of the time. And if not, you haven't asked for enough. But also, I also learned these techniques of how to feel more comfortable hearing no. Because it's like a risk, like anything, and that you know, if you go into a negotiation, it's a risk. It could blow up, and you'll destroy your relationship. This is a big concern. There, these you know, two people are negotiating in a brothel. They're about to do something very intimate, but they have to argue about money before. So it's sort of like your job negotiation on steroids in terms of tension. So what they do is they do something we you do in finance too, which is there's a lot of hedging. And there's a lot of uh, maintaining what's some sort of form of liquidity, which is you don't just say, you know, a salary negotiation, like double my salary or I'm going to quit. You just like, well, hey, you know, I would like this much more money, but if that's not realistic, I could take more vacation days. So what you do is you offer this menu of options, which promotes flexibility for both sides. And that increases the odds you're going to have a more successful transaction. So how did you, when you then, are there specific ways that you then implemented these negotiation strategies in your life since then? Oh, yeah. I'm now very comfortable hearing no, certainly in terms of writing the book and asking for the resources I needed from both the publisher and from friends helping me promote it. Like I'm now very comfortable with asking, do, making these ballsy asks I would have never done before. Can you give an example of one that you asked for that was successful and maybe one that wasn't successful? I think it's, it's certainly in terms of asking corporations to do bulk sales. That was just something I would have never asked for before. And now I feel comfortable with it. 
But sometimes, more often than not, I am being told no. It still stings a little, but then I sort of tell myself, you asked for enough because you heard no. That's a good thing to remember because ultimately, in other words, you want to hear yes, but if you hear a yes right away, that in a way makes you feel, well, maybe I didn't ask for enough. And I think that's something people need to keep in mind. So on that theme, what are the lessons for our listeners from your money story? I think as I said, it's okay to hear no. The world doesn't end. It doesn't destroy a relationship. And if you don't hear no, you're not getting enough. How do you recover from the no? Well, now, as I said, it still stings. And like, I sit there with- But can you just kind of go back with your tail between your legs and be like, "Um, okay, I know you said no to that. Can you do this? Or do you have to just walk? You just have to kind of save face and be like, then I'm not going to do it. You come back with another alternative. Because most transactions aren't binary. It's not like you'll do this and or it's not happened. There's maybe a third way. It's like maybe I, I've become more of the school of you. If you ask for the sun, maybe you'll get the moon. Right. So maybe when you originally approach a negotiation, you make sure to not make it binary and not create absolutes. So that starts at the beginning is giving yourself a way to circle back if you don't get the answer that you want. Exactly. Well, like what they do in the brothel is the customer's a little nervous and they'll lay out like, hey, you know, what do you think you're going to do? Like, I don't know. I've never been here. And they'll be like, all right, well, here's what I think I should do. And they'll lay out this elaborate sexual plan and it involves like going to the movies and dinner and it's 12 hours. And the guy will be like, that's amazing. And then it'll be like, great, that will be $15,000. And then he's like, oh, no. And then they're like, all right, well, maybe we can take dinner off the table. And then what you do is you, you have this big hairy ask But then, you know, there's components to it and you take it apart. So no one's really ever heard no, but you have this whole, you know, it's actually a menu of choices. Interesting. And any specifics that you think people could use when they are applying it to their own life? Yeah. I mean, if you're, I said, if you're negotiating for your salary, as I said, it doesn't have to be all monetary compensation. You could talk about flexible hours. You could talk about more vacation days. Or as I said, even if you're asking a friend for a favor, like they're going to promote your book, you can ask them to email everyone in their company and they'll probably say no because that's a little ballsy. But, you know, maybe they'll share on Facebook and it's something. All right, let's go to your everyday money tip. And that basically has to do with getting the most out of life by taking as little risk as possible. But that comes down to, you say, diversification, but not just stocks. Risk is the cost of getting what you want. You don't want to take any more than necessary. So diversification has been proven in finances. It gets rid of unnecessary risk, but not all risk. But that doesn't just apply to financial markets. It could apply to anything. It could be if you're in a job, you know, doing gig or contract work on the side if possible. So you have that option. It could be keeping your network fresh. So you have other options if that job doesn't work out or you want a new skill. Or it could even be with dating. I actually reread the rules when I was doing the book because I was not <laughs> including it. And I was like, this the is- book, Well, the book you're referring to is a book from years ago where two women wrote about these very harsh, they sort of sound old-fashioned rules, but they are, they're almost like playing hard to get, I guess. But go on. Yeah, and it's a much better book than you remember. But one of their tips is don't be exclusive with someone until they, you really know they're serious about you. I mean, they actually marry you, but like- I mean, diversification and dating. It is, and it really yeah. does bring out your best self. It really is efficient in some ways because you know it keeps you from getting invested in the wrong person. They could be a jerk and you don't know that yet because you don't really know who they are. It also makes you feel more desirable and attractive. So it really can be your best self. So diversification really applies to anything. 
Love that. Let's talk about the book because as I said, the subtitle, I actually did not read at the top, is called And Other Unexpected Places to Understand Risk. And you really go to a lot of different places. You go, you talk about surfing, you talk about paparazzi, and I really enjoy the discussion about the movie business. You have this reoccurring story that seems to happen every couple of years in Hollywood, which is someone from finance comes in and they're like, I can tame this beast. I know how to make these weird risk distributions work in financial markets, so I'm going to do it in the movie market. And it always ends in tears for everyone. And you also use the paparazzi business, uh, where a lot of these people kind of stalk celebrities to get those photos that see that are spontaneous and maybe often tell a story. You use that to illustrate idiosyncratic risk versus systematic risk, which I find fascinating. The paparazzi face a lot of idiosyncratic risk with their income and in that in any given day, they might get that shot of a celebrity canoeing with a new lover, and that might be like $100,000. Or they might just get a picture of a celebrity getting coffee and that'll be five. And it's totally random. I just want to wrap up with your advice for people that want to lower their risk. You talk about de-risking, risk-free ways to be, and even ways to apply it to everything from cruising to even the way that the military lowers risk. Yeah. So there's two main ways you can reduce risk. After you diversify. So diversifying is getting rid of unnecessary risk, but there's still the risk remaining. So one way is to hedge, which is just take less risk. Or in the finances would be balancing your stock portfolio with a bond portfolio. That's the appropriate risk-free portfolio. And that's just taking some risk off the table. You give up some upside, you get rid of some downside. The other way is insurance, which is you pay someone to take the risk on your behalf, but you still keep all the upside, but it comes at a cost and sometimes it's super expensive. So for instance, I went to a big wave surfing risk conference, and one of the techniques they discussed is a hedge technique, which so big waves travel in sets of like five waves, four or five, I suppose. And so, you know, we have this image that surfers are just looking for the ultimate big wave, but really they're much more thoughtful about it. So the ultimate big wave might be that first wave in the set, but you wouldn't take that wave because if you wipe out, there's going to be four big waves barreling on you and you'll probably drown. So what they do is they, they, anyway, it's a great wave. They'll, you know, reduce some of that upside of getting that great wave and wait for a later wave in the set. Anyway, it might be smaller just because it's less risky. Fascinating. I never would have thought of it that way. So it's, there is a strategy to surfing. Tell us more about where we can find out more about you and where we can pick up the book. Yeah, so the book's on sale on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and in Barnes & Noble in person. And on my website, alisonschrager.com, I direct you to all that stuff. And there's more information about me. And your socials? Uh, Yeah, I'm not very creative. So it's also Alison Schrager for for Twitter and Instagram. And also you can find my columns at Quartz. Love it. Thank you so much, Alison. Thank you. Here we go, my friends. Financial grown-up tip number one. Think about the things you can do to increase your odds of success in a negotiation. Allison talks about creating a menu of options, asking for the most first, but offering the other party at least something that they can give you to make it a win at some level. Think about a wine list at a restaurant. A lot of people pick the second cheapest one for a reason. The restaurant knows this. And in many cases, they can actually build in the biggest profit margin because they know that's where everyone's going to gravitate towards. Financial grown-up tip number two, try to identify things you do that increase your risk. In the book, for example, Allison talks about how poker champions with stacks of money on the line have to factor in their irrational behavior as the stakes get higher. 
What do you do that is economically irrational? Shopping for food on an empty stomach? Yeah, that's me. Buying things because they are on sale? Me too. You get the idea. And let me know. DM me with your biggest irrational economic decisions I would love to hear and share with the community so we can all be a little bit more aware and maybe we can come up with some ways to help. On Instagram, I am at BobbyRebel1, on Twitter at BobbyRebel, and you can always email us at hello at financialgrownup.com. Quick reminder, come join me and my co-host, Joe Salcihai, at our other podcast, Money in the Morning. We take the buzziest headlines and we share them with you. We discuss, and most of all, we come up with takeaways of how we can learn from them to live richer lives. Big thanks to Allison Schrager for helping us all get one step closer to being financial grownups. Financial Grown Up with Bobby Rebel is edited and produced by Steve Stewart and is a BRK Media production.